0: Take your Bibles and open them uh, back with me to um, Romans chapter seven. Now, guys, last week my my wife is not able to be with us on a lot of Wednesday nights. She has meetings with the neighborhood Christian Center crowd, but last week she was. And on the way to our um, our designated supper spot, she got on to me, and she got on to me. She said, "Because that was hard stuff." And, um, guys, yes, that is true. This is hard stuff. It didn't become the most controversial chapter in the Bible. Um, <clears throat> now, this didn't become the most controversial chapter in the Bible for nothing. I mean, th- because this is, this is intricate stuff. And really, we hadn't even got to the most intricate. Um, and I've already lost you. Um, so I have sought, as best I know how, to make. Things as, um, as simple as I know how. And, uh, and I, I, I want you to know that I really feel like I understand this. Now, whether I communicate it very well is, is another story. We're going to take a look tonight at verse 4. Um, but we're not going to finish tonight with verse 4. Because what I'm going to seek to do is, is unpack some of the stuff that is in there. But it is crammed full of stuff. Paul is, um, is a genius in a lot of ways, but one of the ways that you see it is in his economy of words um, and the way that he can uh, pour so much into a small space. So uh, there's just a lot to be discovered in verse 4, and we'll do our best to um, um, unravel it or unpack it. Let me read the first four verses. Uh, that's not too much, but with special reference at verse 4. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Now, for those who weren't here last week, verses 2 and 3 are somewhat of an interlude. It's an illustration that he sticks in the middle here, and then you'll notice in verse 4 that he opens up verse 4 with the word, therefore. Therefore. So he makes a statement in verse 1. He tries to give you an illustration in verses 2 and 3. And then he returns to his principle in verse 4. So let me read the first. um, uh, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now guys, uh, again, in my effort to be as clear as I can, let's do this for a moment. It's not a perfect connection, but it it might help. What we're going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to read verse 1 and I'm going to skip verses 2 and 3 because verses 2 and 3 are an illustration. And I'm going to connect it directly to verse 4. This might help some. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now, what Paul does in verse 4, generally speaking, is that he applies the illustration of verses 2 and 3. He applies that illustration to all believers. And here's one of those... Those wonderful descriptions of what it means to be a Christian. It, 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 verse 4 is the gospel in a nutshell. There's just a lot of stuff, a lot of ramifications that grow out of that one little verse, verse 4. And so we'll we'll spend um, all of the night and some of next week uh, looking at some of the, the, the things that are crammed into verse 4. Again, simply stated, it's just a wonderful description. ...of what it means to be a Christian. But there's several little ways that you can view that. So I'll try to try to let you know when I'm shifting to another way to view it. Alright, four or five things in terms of what it means to be a Christian. The gospel in a nutshell. Here we go. Number one. What this text states, that in terms of being a Christian, we are free from the obligations of that former marriage... Now, I use the word marriage because it's in the illustration of verses 2 and 3. The first thing that we learn is that as a Christian, we are free from the obligations of that former marriage. Now, what was that former marriage? It was a relationship to law. So, if I could state it another way, we are free from the obligations of law. As a believer... Our obligation, our relation, well, I shouldn't share, our obligation to law has ended. It has been put to death. That's the first thing. That's the first observation that we can make concerning what he says in verse 4 about what it means to be a Christian. We are dead to the obligations. We are free from the obligations of law. Now, I have to come back to that word obligation in a minute because there is some obligation, but... Um, I'll try to make that clear. Number two, our relationship to the law has ended because of a death. Now, this is where everybody got uh, confused last week. At least I had three or four people ask me about the death. Um, Our relationship to the law has ended because of a death. Whose death? Look at the text. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law... Through the body of Christ. Whose death is it that produced our um, death to the law? It is through the body of Christ, through that death, through his death, through Christ's death, we, um, our relationship to the law has thus ended it. Okay? Okay. There's a third and fourth and fifth, but a third observation. Guys, we are dead to the law as a system of salvation. Now, here's where I want to go back to that word obligation. We are free from the obligations of law as a system of salvation, but not as a rule of life, ladies and gentlemen. It is still a truism to say thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, so as a a rule and guide of life, yes. But we are free, we are dead to law as a system of self-salvation, guys. Um, We are no longer under a system by which we seek to justify ourselves through some kind of law obedience. Or we're no longer under a system by which we seek to establish our own worth through some kind of performing. We are no longer under a a, a system that tells us our own, our standing depends upon how well we perform. Gang, that was our position under law. And and it still is the position of absolutely countless millions. That is, they are under a system that tells them that if I am going to ever be made acceptable to God, I'm going to have to perform my way into that acceptability. That used to be our position, but I am now dead to that. Because my standing is not based on some kind of religious performing. Gang, the non-Christian is continuing to perform in the hope that he will ultimately get a a favorable verdict. Um, The problem is, the performance continues because the verdict never comes. For us... The verdict is in. And I am no longer under a system that tells me if I am going to get the verdict, I am going to have to work for it. The verdict has already been delivered about God's people. I'm no longer, I, have, I no longer have any obligations to a system that tells me that I contribute in any way to my salvation because of my performance. The problem is, guys, this is just an aside, just kind of set the text aside for a moment. That is what every one of us were born thinking. And not only that, we were encouraged to think like that through every institution, sometimes even in the church. And and so we hear of this wonderful gospel that tells us, that we are no longer under a system that requires us to perform, and we say, hallelujah, we come into the kingdom, and somehow that bleeds back into our system. Okay, now I know that my eternity is safe because my performance does not matter, but in terms of my worth as a believer, all of my performance um, contributes to my worth. And so we pick up that same wrongful thinking about our standing and our worth being depended upon some kind of adequate performance. We are dead to a system that tells us that our standing or our worth depends on any kind of good behavior, good performance, good obedience that is dead kill it my brother and sister in Christ please kill it every one of us have a have a strain of legalism that creeps into our souls and if we're not careful we keep living like this I keep trying to get the, the, the verdict of God. by, And when, I, when, I, when my performance is bad, I'm in big trouble. Because if the verdict depends on my performance and my performance was bad, then therefore God must be very, very disturbed with me. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not here trying to tell you that there are not some consequences to our sinful choices. I don't mean that, but I'm saying in terms of our standing, in terms of our worth, in terms of our value, we are dead to law-keeping. Drink that in, my friend, because every one of you, you no, know, every one of us have things in our lives that we're not very proud of. And I think Satan uses that stuff to continue to um, uh, to make us question our our value and our worth before God. That's dead to you. Or you're dead to that. Now, guys, that's that's what this... Look, go Look at the text. I didn't think this up. Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law. How did that happen? Oh, it was through the body of Christ. So, through what Christ has done, I am dead to the law. Now... Let me give you a fourth, um, uh, I I guess it would call it instruction that would come out of verse 4 concerning this um, definition of what it means to be a Christian. First of all, or fourthly of all, uh, to be a Christian means that we have an entirely new life. Um, There has been, and we have undergone, and in a change that has given us this radically different life. So much so that these the words of verse 4 describe it as a dying and a rising. That which has happened to the people of God um, is, is pictured or is illustrated. The, the radical nature of what has happened to us is illustrated in the death and arising, rising. It's both in that text, ladies and gentlemen. You will see, uh, we'll talk about our union with Christ in a minute. But the, but the point is, I'm dead to that, and I've raised to another thing. Um, becoming a Christian, folks, doesn't require a slight modification. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is, is downright molecular, if you know what I mean by that. There has been a spiritual Molecular change in the life of the believer. To to, to many, if you talk about becoming a Christian, what they hear is, oh my, they've gotten religion. And their understanding is, oh, um, uh, they have stopped doing certain things and they have added church attendance to their schedule. That's how they understand this thing that we call conversion. Oh, they 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 got religion and they go to church now and they don't do certain things that they used to do. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, this this change that has been wrought in us by grace is so profound. The only things that can describe it is a death and a new life of rising that comes as a result of rising to become to become a Christian is to undergo the profoundest change there is known to man. It is not some kind of moral reform. Um, like uh, I quit smoking. Well, if you smoke, I wish you would quit smoking. Uh, it's not a good thing for your body, and uh, you're damaging that b- temple of yours. But that's not what it means to become a Christian. That's that's a change. But it doesn't rival The enormity of the change that we have undergone as a result of having come to Christ. It is the the word I love, it is downright molecular. If I ask an orange tree to produce lemons, I am not going to be able to staple some lemons on my orange tree and uh, proclaim it a lemon tree. If I'm going to get that orange tree to produce lemons, I am going to have to somehow get inside of it and change its whole molecular structure. That's what's happened to you. So, not only do I have an entirely new life, I have an entirely new purpose to my life, as we find in the words that or so that we should bear fruit to God. Gang. The non-Christian, I have to tell you, is not particularly interested in bearing fruit to God. But we are. Um, I I will say this, although I I realize in saying it, that most non-Christians are not uh, aware that they are doing this. But the non-Christian lives for himself. He uses all of his circumstances, all of his resources, all of his surroundings, all of his relationships to somehow further self-interest. But... um, for the believer we have been given a new principle of life so that we might do otherwise and the otherwise that we might do is that we have we have the 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 capability now of bearing fruit to god everything that we do directly or indirectly is designed to bear fruit to god okay guys let me summarize real quick here's a here's a nice here's a verse that in it gives us all of these these indications or, um, uh, hints about, uh, what it means to be a Christian. I'm dead to the law. I'm, I, I'm, um, I'm dead to the law because a death has taken place. The, the death that is taking place is Christ's death. Uh, I'm no longer under a system. I have an erratically doomed life and I have a radically new purpose in life. That is to bear fruit to God. Now, is that what you point to? When you identify yourself as a Christian, is that what you're pointing to? That is, I have something that has made me profoundly different. Uh, I'm not referring to the fact that, you know, my marriage was suffering and we weren't doing so good so we started going to church. I'm not talking about, well, you know, I lost my job and we, uh, we decided that we needed to start tithing. I'm not talking about that. Can you look at what you point at as this thing that you identify as your new life in Christ and say, there is a profound sense of newness to me. Um, if, if I could just give you some more specific measurements. Tell me this, and, and I'm, just trying to give you, I'm just trying to offer some things that will help you think through, am I new? Okay, I'm trying to give you some little some little applications that can answer, am I new? Here's one. How about this? Do you enjoy worship? Now, I'm not asking, do you enjoy going to church? I'm not asking, do you enjoy singing? By the way, one of my pet peeves, and maybe I'm the only one on the face of the evangelical roadmap that feels like this, but... Guys, the word worship does not refer to the singing in the church. I missed the worship uh, in the church, but I got there for the preaching or something like that. Guys, worship is not singing. There is a singing portion of the worship service, and there is a, an instructional portion of the worship service, but they both comprise a worship service. To to talk about praise and worship, What what the Christian church is meaning is we sang a lot. Oh no, that's not what that word means. And my 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 plea is don't use it like that. But the point is, do you enjoy worship? What I'm asking you is not do you enjoy singing, not do you enjoy coming to church. I'm asking, do you enjoy fellowship with God? Do you enjoy fellowship with God's people? Is that something that, is, that has become enjoyable for you? Secondly, um, can, you, can, you, can you honestly say that I have a real desire to know God and to know him better and better over the course of my life? I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, if you can say that, you are a radically new person. Because that's not what you used to want to do. I've told you about my three famous goals in life. I've told you a dozen times. But my goals in life before I came to know Christ is make a whole lot of money, climb very high in Procter and & Gamble, and buy a boat. That was, that, was of which, that was the stuff of which my life consisted now, is that not empty? Is knowing God really important to you? Thirdly, um, is... I'm gonna, I'll use the word, but this is not exactly what I mean. Is serving God important to you? Really, what I'm asking is, is bearing fruit for God really important to you? Because that's the purpose of these new people's lives. They bear fruit to God. Is that something that really is... Um, a vital interest to you. I want to bear that fruit for God. And, and fourthly, I guess, can you see the fruit? Dang, I'm not asking, can I see it? I'm asking, can you see it? Can you see that which is being produced because you are molecularly different, changed, new? Because I, I mean because Christians died and they rose again. Christians are dead to law but married to another. They used to have a tyrannical husband, but he got he got killed, and he got killed at the cross. We'll, we'll talk about that more, but guys, those are just some marks. In fact, others with brighter minds could think of a whole lot of other good um, self-evaluative questions, but... What we're saying is, what I'm saying is that as a result of this text, when it, when it gets ready to describe what has happened to the, this, this person called a believer, he is radically different. He's got, a, he's, he's got a, a whole new life and a whole new purpose in his life. And his purpose is to bear fruit to God. Now, is that something that matters and matters deeply to you, ladies and gentlemen? Not just that my church grows. No, is bearing fruit to God something that that is of interest to you, and does your decision making and behaviors reflect that? I really do. I'm not saying that you do it perfectly. I'm saying, does it matter? Does it matter that you didn't bear fruit to God, and matter that you want to bear more? Now, guys, if if those are marks of the uh, radically transformed life, and if they're not true of me, then what? What must one do so that it would be true of him or her? Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, this text would make clear that Christianity, whatever else it is, Christianity is centered upon something about the person of Christ. The person That is, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Something about him is absolutely at the core and the base and the periphery, um, Somebody said, Christ is the the hub, everything else else is circumference. Um, In terms of my being this radically new person, uh, where and how much is Christ mentioned in your thinking and your understanding? Christianity is Christ. You can have religion without Christ. You can have morality without Christ. You can have spirituality without Christ. You can have Buddhism without Buddha, but you can't have Christianity without Christ. Guys, for the conservatives, which most of us are, um, for the conservatives, they like religion. The liberals, they like spirituality, and neither of those is Christianity. Christianity centers upon, grows out of, draws its strength from, draws its definition from, Christ. So, in your, your thinking about yourself, how much is Christ in your vocabulary? Um, you know, when, when, I, when I chat with people from time to time about their spiritual lives, and they say these vague Things about, you know, me and the man upstairs are in good shape. What? What does that mean? Or um, uh, even this, ladies and gentlemen, even this. I invited Jesus into my heart. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm simply saying, what in the world does it mean? What does that mean? I'm saying that everything that is worthy of the name Christian centers upon who he is and what he has done. How much is that in your language? Why are you this new person? Christ. Who has made you this new person? Christ. How did you become this new person? What Christ did through the body of Christ. Everything is through. Um, Now, so if those characteristics are not true of me, then um, how would I become one that they would be true? Well, we can talk about that later, but I can tell you this. It centers upon, it's grounded in, it's encircling, it is absorbed with Christ. I can give you that much information. If, if, if that, those things are not true of you and you are outside the household, then I can tell you, the, the thing that you're going to need, forget all the religious complexity, you need Christ. You know, um, this week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, so you'll, this is kind of a little preview of, of the sermon on Sunday, but it's, it, was, it was just captivating to me. Um, you know, it's the story of the Philippian jailer, and the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Six words has changed the world. Six words that have existed over 21 centuries, and it has radically transformed the map of the, of the planet. Six words. Christ. It is all Christ. Now, how does this Christ save me or anybody else? Well, it's not by his teaching. It's not by his example. It is through his body. Uh, it is through his death. Through his death, I, he, he didn't save anybody by the ethic that he taught, which is admittedly the most, uh, the highest ethic ever known to man. He didn't save anybody by his teaching, which is absolutely impeccable and glorious. He saved by his death through something that happened to Jesus Christ's body. That's how he saved. He saved me through something that happened to his body. Through the body of Christ. Something happened to that body which we know to be, of course, Calvary. That's it. Who is going to save me? Christ. How? Through his body. Now, that's all we have time for tonight. We'll come back and try to finish up verse 4 next week. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that you will help me um, be smart enough to make this understandable. Uh, I The... the um, The ability is not resident within me, O God, to take that which is so marvelously beautiful and eternally profound uh, to make it so that your people can prosper from it and grow thereby. Grant me that kind of genius, O God, that is not my own. But then, O God, for that which is said, which is understandable and and true, I pray that your people will gobble it up, that they'll walk out of here knowing that they are no longer under a system that requires them to perform in such a way so that they can have a certain verdict. The verdict is in, and the performance can stop. Oh, for those who live around us, oh God, that perform like mad, hoping that when they die, they'll hear a good, a good verdict. We who know this Savior, we already have the verdict. Now we're free. We're absolutely free to go live lives that bear fruit to God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, enable it to be so. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks and good night.